לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. שבת This is an amazing Parsha. <laughs> this you know, is, I was thinking that myself. They keep getting better and better. This is an amazing Parsha. I would say this is really one of the most important Parshas in the Torah. Okay, because of something that takes place at the end of the Parsha, which we will talk about. But before we get into that, we are, of course, entering, I would say, a new gateway into the Torah here. And with that, I want to introduce the concept that the Torah is, the Torah is giving us a code. In Parshat Yitro, the, the Torah gave us the Ten Commandments, admittedly a code of, of a certain type, but now we're getting into a different kind of uh, literature, a different kind of text. So just can you give us the, a kind of 30,000-foot view of this as a text? I think... We'll start with you, Jeremy. Well, I, I would say that the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, I, I, would, I would differ slightly in how I would phrase it. The Ten Commandments, I, I think they're maybe a code of a certain kind, but they're really like the preamble. They're, you know, like, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we've got some principles here, but to be able to um, make them uh, hook onto the world, um, we need to not stay at 30,000 feet. We need to... get all the way down into the details. And this is a religion, uh, all of our listeners uh, and viewers know this in one way or another, this is a religion that does not rest with big ideas and big principles. This is a religion that says, I want to know precisely how you're going to handle the, the innumerable ways that people have conflict with each other and the way people might wrong each other, the people might injure each other, I want to know in really practical ways, how can we turn normal daily human conduct into a realm for mitzvah um, and a realm for ethics and virtue and justice and all those things. And, and what's amazing about Judaism, like so many wonderful things about Judaism, but one of them is that there is a religious dimension to business and how you, how you buy and sell and how you dig a hole in your yard. I mean, like who would have thought That how somebody digs a hole in their yard is something that the Torah would care about. And yet, in the, in the code here of Parshat Mishpatim, that's of major, major religious significance. So if I could just rephrase it, it's a, it's a, the, the Ten Commandments is the preamble, and then Ve'elaha Mishpatim. And this is the way you have to live. These are the statutes by which you have to live, Barry. Right. So uh, what I would add to what, what Jeremy said is that we see this in a literary way as well, because the Ten Commandments really require Chapter 19, the narrative which precedes them, 
to understand them, both in terms of the text itself, I think, but also in what it's doing in Sefer Shmot. But the Mishpatim are kind of a standalone. The narrative is going to pick up in chapter 24, which we'll get to at the end, but the laws stand on their own. They can be separated out, and there's plenty to discuss, the individual laws, how the laws fit together. But I think it was, as uh, Jacob Neusner once observed, it's a religion of pots and pans. You know, this is nitty-gritty stuff. It's nitty-gritty stuff, but okay, so let's pick a law. Let's do the first law. If you acquire a Hebrew slave, so setting aside the moral objection to slavery right now and the context that we have, what what is the Torah telling us? And what's is there a narrative underneath this commandment? And Barry, I think I want to I want to yeah, I think there's always a narrative behind the law. And here the narrative is quite clear. It was only a few weeks ago that our ancestors left Egypt, where their experience had been for hundreds of years, depending on how one counts, slavery. And now they're emerging into freedom. And the first thing that you have to be told is that you're not going to be a permanent slave anymore. That there could be circumstances in your life that are quite difficult to deal with, and you may end up being a slave, but your slavery uh, as a free person, I guess as kind of an oxymoron, is going to be bounded in time and in the way that the master has to treat you. The master cannot do everything that he wants because he has a responsibility to you because he's an avid, you're an avid free. You are one of him. Can we address that? Yeah, I would say that the uh, that there's I firmly agree with what you just said about there's always a narrative. Sometimes we've got an implicit narrative, and I, I would I would tell a, a you know a, a little slightly tangential or uh, narrative about slavery, which is that there is always going to be um, in the nature of you know human society, there are always going to be powerful and powerless people. There's always going to be people who get into trouble. Why, why was somebody an Evid Ivri in the ancient world? Either they had a debt that they just could not pay, um, and the creditor, you know, had deserves repayment, or the person um, got caught in a theft and can't repay their the debt that they have. And so the Evid Ivri comes along to say, we're not giving up on you. We are going to create a, a, a social system that is going to uh, allow you to pay off your debt. The Eved Ivri, first of all, the, the Hebrew word Eved has a wider semantic range than just slave. It also means servants. We are Avadim to God. We are all God's servants as well. So I think that the Eved Ivri, the slave, the Hebrew slave or the Hebrew servant, it is actually part of a positive narrative about uh, wealthy folks taking on as employees in an unequal relationship, because there's always inequality. You're never just going to wipe away inequality. It is unequal. I'm not. I'm not apologizing for that. Um, but the, the wealthy person is going to take for a time uh, this person and and help them pay off their debts and give them a job and feed them and take care of them. And if the halacha, the later halacha, is to be believed, really treat them as one of the family. So would you say that within the the uh, the evolution of halacha, the evolution of the of biblical law, and as it is elaborated through Mishnah and through Talmud, how does the tradition see this institution, and what does it do to 
kind of alleviate the what we would say is morally objectionable about the whole the whole idea of slavery here. Well, you know, in in halacha as it's elaborated by the sages, uh, the evidivri, the Hebrew the Hebrew servant has all sorts. You know, the the as the statement goes, you acquire a slave, you acquire you acquire a master. Um, if you acquire a Hebrew slave, you acquire a new master because the person has um, just claims upon the the uh, the master in this case for a certain kind of treatment, and you cannot uh, make that person work. We talked Barry talked about the 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 Egyptian experience as sort of being part of the narrative that that contextualizes this. What Egyptians did was work them with cruelty, with ruthlessness, um, and and what you cannot do is to treat that person as chattel, that you don't own them, you don't own their bodies, they work for you, and you don't, you have to give them Shabbat, first of all, the whole point of Shabbat is to noach to, to, so that your that your servants can rest as you do, if they took you out of Egypt, and you can't, as the laws go, for example, you can't make them say, you can't say to them, for example, uh, you know, just dig this hole until I get tired. No, no, you have to you explain the, the purpose of what you're asking them to do, and it has to be not pointless, it has to be productive, all of which helps the person feel a sense of productivity, and that's part of the narrative. Give you one other thing that's not about the slave per se, but it is about wealth and poverty. Um, one of the meets about in, in this Parsha is that uh, if a person is borrowing, you, you, are, you are supposed to give, this is a Parsha that includes the mitzvah of interest-free loans and the prohibition on taking interest, you have to give your fellow Jew an interest-free loan. Uh, by the way, tzedakah in the Bible is not really gifts, it's loans. And, but you can take a pledge, you can take a collateral. But if you take a collateral as a garment, you have to return it back to that person uh, every single night so the person can sleep and they give it back to you the next day. Uh, it is this person's only garment. That's his, that's his shirt. What's he going to sleep in? That, that's, a, that's a detail in the rule that the Torah has told right. a little story to make you feel how cold it must be right. for this person. And wait, and finish the punchline. If he if he prays to me, the shamati, I'm going to hear him. Yeah. So here you get you get not only the 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 context of his story, you get the emotion, the, the, the anguish. The divine emotion. Exactly. Right. So what I would add here is that one of the undercurrents is that the situation can always be reversed. Right? We talk about the evidence read because anyone can be an evidence read. Even the master, his circumstances could be such that one day he might become an evidence read. And what all these laws ultimately, I think, come to teach us is that it, to live in a community means that we live in a relationship with other people, that no one lords it over another human being because we're all created in the image of God, and God is the one true master. So, so what law contains, and this is the code, there are the rules here, there's our interpretation, but there's, there's life underneath this. Go back to verse 20, chapter 2, verse 22, verse 20. V'gir lotoneh. Here we're not talking about a slave, but we're talking about the stranger in your midst. And that, of course, is a legal technical category. It's a stranger in your midst. What a landed person or not will leave that. Do not oppress. Do not really exert force on. 
because you were strangers, Beretz Mitzrayim. So what is what is the import of that law? What is it trying to do for us? And later we're going to get Kiyadatemet Nevesheger, right? You yeah, know, yeah. you know, you know what it's like. Um, I, I think that you know we were talking before the we started recording about the impulse to exploit. Is it just a is it just a, a piece of humanity that some of us are just going to be cruel jerks? You know, we're 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 greedy, we're self-aggrandizing, um, and that cruelty is just part of the human character. It's a yetsahara. Is it is it perhaps a residue of having been oppressed b'farech in Egypt? Um, I, I don't I don't really know exactly how to answer that question about where our cruelty comes from, um, but I do know that religions, uh, at least this religion, um, are trying to uh, educate that cruelty out of us by training us in empathy and love, and and verses like this, which are not unlike. Pauline Christianity, unwilling to say, well, listen, the higher law is love, just love, just love. Don't worry, don't worry about the details. This religion says, first of all, you got a lot of details. And if you study Bhava Matsya and Bhava Kama and Bhava Bhatra, you're gonna, you're gonna get into the details in all their precision. Um, but it's because you care about the experience of these uh, folks, and you want to train the members of our religious society to say, well, what's he gonna sleep in? Or Oh, you know, the, the marginal, the ger, the, the stranger, the, the orphan and the widow, we have to care about them so we care for them. So would you say that the, the, the driving question that Mishpatim is trying to answer is, what kind of person are you to become and what kind of society are we to create? I'd say that exactly. Absolutely. So, so, and so, for example, you could almost you could take almost every single verse here, even Ayin Tachad Ayin Shein Tachad Shein, which is the the laws. You know, it's we translate eye for an eye, you know, uh, uh, tooth for a tooth, right? It's back in uh, chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-three. Ayin Tachad Ayin Shein If you have damaged someone, things that fall out of you, things that fall off of you, bruises, whatever. And of course, we understand that as monetary compensation. It's a society that tries to create the just retribution and, and compensation for loss. And of course, we, we have built tractates and tractates on, on almost every single verse of this, of this text. Um, we, we could uh, choose anyone. Um, again, Kigerim Heitem, Mitvar Sheker Tirchak. I love um, that. That's, that's a big one to me. Okay, chapter 23, verse uh, 7. Mitvar Sheker Tirchak. Go ahead. Do not keep keep far, far from falsehood. Not only don't lie, but but keep far away from all those from all those lies. Um, you know, to, to be uh, like you asked the question, Elliot. Uh, you know, what kind of person to be? And I, I think that's a, a very key ethical question. There are a lot of rules, and so a lot of specific behaviors you have to do. But I, to me, it's really strongly important that the, that the behaviors not only are uh, the, the laws are not only about the specific behavior, do this, don't do that, but let those behaviors shape you. So don't only don't lie, but be a person who shuns falsehood. That to me is, is huge. And again, it goes on into the, the, the a text regarding justice, the shochad lotikach, don't take a bribe, ki ashochad yaver pichim, the bribe will blind those who have open eyes. Again, back to that stranger, the emphasis on 
compassion, empathy for the life of someone who is alienated in your land. So that repetition obviously has an impact on us. Are we ready to turn to the end of the Parsha? Um, Some big, yeah, we... big moment. Okay, so the big moment at the end of the Parsha is this covenant ceremony where Moshe goes up the mountain. It's kind of complicated there. Um, it seems like it seems like um, that that from the beginning of Mishpah, from the end of Yitro, with the there's some rules about the uh, creation of the Mizbeach, um, some some architectural rules about how to build the 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 altar and the steps. Uh, up until here in 24, it seems like a unit got placed in there because if, remember at the end of 19. Moshe goes up to God, God says, go back down, and then you and Aaron come back up. It seems like that takes place now in 24. Yeah. Five chapters later, when Moses and Aaron and um, Moses and Aaron and Nadav and Abihu and 70 elders do come up and have another meeting with God. All right. So let me get your reaction to the verse. This is verse 24, 3. Vayavo Moshe, vayisaper la'am et kol adonai. Moses comes down, he tells, and I love the idea that it's he's telling it. There's a certain narrative embedded in that he's word. He's going to go tell it on the mountain. He's going to go tell it on the mountain. Okay. And the laws. And now, Jeremy, this is an echo to last week. Yes, yes. What does that mean? Barry. Take a we shot. will do it. We're going to do it. We got the message. Is We're ready it, to march. So, so I want to ask you: Is does this response reflect fear, awe, or desire, or does it affect willingness? You know, I would say it's an ecstatic utterance. The people are so overwhelmed that in jubilation they say yes. So is this is this like a Nike? Yes, we can. Or is this a wedding? Um, you know, it's I reminiscent do. of some churches where the congregation is going along with the preacher, and it's not just the preacher preaching, but the whole congregation is involved. Not always as response, but in actually giving the sermon with the preacher. Have you and ever so, been in, have you ever been in a service like that? Uh, not personally. No, I've seen him on TV. I, I was <laughs> once invited to a service like that, and it was a different experience. Okay, it was like you go, man, you go, go, tell it, tell it, Rabbi. All right. So, and then a little later, we'll have the variation. It will be Naseb and Nishma. Okay. So, so what we have is you're, you're saying it's enthusiasm. Is there a legal aspect to this? Is there? Oh, this is this is big. This is big. You, the other the other one that you gave us the promise the other promise that you. Flew, floated out there was it's like a wedding uh is it an i do and there's at least one way in which it totally is there's, there's a covenant ritual that's going on here and moses takes a basin full of blood and splashes it on the altar and splashes half of the blood on the people this covenant ceremony this, this is this is like really this is this is serious this is stuff serious stuff flesh and blood baby this is a religion of flesh and blood you enter if we are male we enter this uh, religion as babies in blood, um, uh, certainly as, as you know, people who become Jews by choice, they enter in blood. 
And and at Mount Sinai, there there is a blood oath too. We promise to do this, and we're in it. We're in it to win it. We're in it for life, and uh, and that's you know tremendously uh, dramatic. Well, what I was thinking earlier today when I was reading through this is that this blood reminds me of the last blood that we saw, which was on the doorpost in Egypt, that this is a different kind of blood of redemption. There, the Mashhi was going to pass over the houses of the Israelites. Here, the blood allows us to enter into the covenant with God. And it's ironically a cleansing blood. But I think many of us, if we hear the story told in a different context, they start spilling blood all over the people and we go, yuck. But that's not the response here. It's not a, a terrible experience. It's not in aesthetic. It is, in fact, what the situation demands, this way of participating in the great life force with the little life force, as it were, the blood. So I, I, taught, I taught this text this week to my class, mm -hmm. and and I pulled up a scholar who who recounted who who, who speaks about the blood as uh, the function of the blood is indexing, which is that it it connects, it points to, and the blood on the doorpost was a pointer, and the blood here is pointing, and what we're what we're pointing to is relationship, that there is a relationship here, and that and I mean as 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 intimate as it is, and as graphic as it is, it's it's where it really lives. This is right, and here it's worth recalling that we have our folk expressions that blood is thicker than water. Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is a tie that's much tighter and much greater because we're creating a family. All right. So in the ceremony, Moshe's on the mountain with his with the elders, and they have the slaughter, and they they they, they then. I love the idea that it's the Na'arim here. And, you know, I said, if, as, a, as a modern rabbi, this is a way of saying, we've got to get the youth involved. <laughs> we've got to get the youth involved, okay? That the youth are involved in the sacrifices. And then, he takes the, it's the document of the covenant, it's, he's not inventing any speeches here. He's actually reading it word for word. And now the climax, or the penultimate moment, because the climax is spilling the, is sprinkling the blood. Okay, so uh, um, Jeopardy question. Greatest lines in the Torah for 300, Alex. What is, what is Naseb and Ishma? What is, the, is, is this, is, could this be... One of our best lines. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, what what strikes po the poetic? First of all, there's so there's so much in this poetic, and the poetic quality of Nasev and Ishma is, you know, for many centuries at least, partly because people misread it a little bit. I mean, the pshat is uh, Nasev will do it, Nishma we will heed, H E E D. We will we will obey. Lishmoa can mean to obey, but for many you know centuries and centuries and centuries, we've read it as letting the commitment to do precede the commitment even to hear what it is we're just we're so in it you just tell us and we're going to follow you you know over that mountain no matter what uh, but one of the one of the common interpretations that i like uh is is built on nishma being lishma meaning to understand what it means like i hear you i you know 
I hear what you're saying. Uh, means you'll do it and then you'll come to an understanding. Uh, you often hear people as uh, I as a rabbi, and I'm sure you guys, you know, hear people say, well, I want to understand what it is before I discover whether I'm going to do it. Th that's not possible. It's not, it's not it's like a good idea. It's simply not possible to understand something from the outside without practicing it. And then you make a judgment on whether you want to incorporate it. It's only by doing things that you experience their meaning. So this, this, these two words really shape a whole way of life. I mean, we, we practice and then throughout the course of our life, we add understanding. And I would, I would also add that, that our understanding changes through the course of our life. I would, Barry, you, you know, as a, as a as younger person, Shabbat means something to you when you are 30. It's something else when you are 40, 50 and beyond. Okay. What's 40 or 50? Exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, part of our task is to remind people that religion ultimately is not rational. There are rational components to it, but as Jeremy was saying, you have to be immersed in it. It's, this is kind of a mikvah moment. You have to jump in, right? The leap of faith is to jump in to the mikvah, as it were, to this the Sea of Talmud, however you want to configure it, this water and be surrounded and be embraced. And then you begin to understand. If you so, wait for the understanding to come first, you'll remain on the outside, perhaps forever. You know, we've had those experiences, you know, when we, when we take people to the mikveh for conversion. I don't think there's, you know, it's among the most profound moments in, in in the, in the life of a rabbi, certainly, it's, it's certainly the most or one of the most profound moments in the life of the prospective convert where they are, they are immersed or they're in the, in, the, in the water. I don't know how you do, Jeremy, but, but, but um, you know, we, we do ask them, you know, and if it's a woman, we're outside the door, of course, and we say, do you accept all machut shamayim? Do you accept the mitzvot, all mitzvot? And, and it's almost as if their answer is nasa v'nishma. Yeah, we, we, we make that commitment. It's a very, very profound moment. I don't think well, so what it adds to what you said is that the rest of their lives is their attempt to understand what they've taken on. Yeah, and that's, I, I would say, that's the joy. That's the joy of being Jewish, or one aspect of the joy. It's certainly, it's an intellectual joy, but, but it's also the spiritual joy of this. You know, we're, we're constantly seeking a way of, of understanding this. I feel like one of the things that I want to say to contemporary uh, people, you know, in, in a very consumerist American society. Um, and I, I am not busting on anybody's chops, but you will, you'll sometimes pe hear people talk about this phrase, which I completely hate. And, you know, you know that they're just trying to, to say something kind of cool, whatever, because people talk about it's a spiritual technology or a spiritual wellness or some, some, you know, garbage like that. <laughs> It's not a spiritual, it's not a wellness technology. It's a commitment and a journey of discovery. And it's not like a, 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 an app that you can download that will make your life better in this or that way. I think it will make your life better, but it's because it's, um, because it's a covenant made with past and future and with, with Am Yisrael, wherever they are, and in that, in this ancient anthropological passage that we just read, that involves splashing, splashing blood um, on on a people and a place, 
and reading a book etched in stone. And that, that, that sense of by living in a way you discover, it discloses its meaning to you and you grow as a person. Um, th that to me, the depth of that is just like, it's, it's, I cannot even articulate the depth of, of what this path is like. And you know, uh, the Midrash, the Midrash is, they have a refrain and all the Midrashim on the phrase is, when they put the doing before the understanding, there are tons of midrashim that deal with the, the placing of crowns on the Israelites' head, you know, and Bnei Israel. They're 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 in a in a moment of splendor. Okay, so we're running out of time. We're just about to end. I don't know. Take us right to the end of this parsha, and we we'll talk about narrative mystery and and joy and awe. So the last verse by Moshe the the. There's a cloud, the, the, the mountain is full of fire and cloud. Moses goes into the cloud, Bayal Elahar, it goes up to the mountain, Moshe Bahar, Moses is on the mountain, Arbaim Yom, Arabim Laila, da 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 da. 40 days. Yeah, that's crazy. 40 days and 40 that's, nights. Why does he have to be there for 40 days and 40 nights? Exactly. There's going to be a test at the end. <laughs> So the experience, I, I think, you know, it reflects part of our own spiritual yearning is that we want to be on top of the mountain. And we want to be there as long as we can be. But as Moshe finds out, life takes place at the bottom of the mountain, not on the top. I think of 40 days as, as you know, a minimum amount of time that is necessary for a kind of major transition in your life. I don't know. So, or, well, so who's the transition for it? Is it for Moshe or for the people or both? It's every in every way, everybody. Everybody's transitioning here. And of course, what we're going to see in subsequent great Parshas is the way that the people deal with this transition, which is... Well, actually, that's that's pretty interesting because the, tra the transformation from Moshe is successful. And I think arguably... Um, uh, the point is that the trans transformation for the people is unsuccessful uh, because it may take longer. It may take 40 years. 40 years, yes. Because 40 days later, Moshe comes down with miraculous tablets and says, okay, guys, we got it. Uh, wait, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what's, what's with the cow? <laughs> well, we'll have, to, we'll have to get to that story in a future Parsha. That's only coming in a couple of weeks from now. In the meantime, we have to, we'll have to end it here. It's, we're just getting, getting warmed up. I just get the feeling we're, we're getting warmed up into this, but we want to give everyone a sense of this warmth, this joy of Torah, the study. Of course, wishing Rafua Shlema to those who are watching us and going through different physical and emotional and also spiritual physical you know, challenges. We want to wish you a Rafua Shlema. We want to thank you for watching and listening to us. Join us again next week. Thank you. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
שידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM